Good morning. This Sunday, I have a great honor of delivering a sermon inspired by Hope member Ruth Jackson. Ruth kindly sat with me over lunch and shared life experiences and ideas and ethical convictions. She and I, she and I want to talk about tolerance. And to dig in, I, I need to start with a personal experience. Does everyone have this picture of a spine? If you don't, please raise your hand and our usher, Joey, will get one to you. Awesome. They're coming. They're coming. So I used to work for a chiropractor. (laughs) You can probably see. And all day, every day, I would watch and support him in treating patients of many ages and abilities with different issues, all for the same ailment, subluxations. A subluxation is a partial dislocation, a slight misalignment of the vertebrae, which in chiropractic theory is the cause of many health problems. On the paper on the left side, there are four vertebrae with three discs in between and nerves coming out from the vertebrae. On the right side, there's a subluxation in the second vertebrae from the top, and you can see it has the disc now red and inflamed and the nerves also negatively affected. Our nervous system, the spine, is the communication circuit of our brain with every other part of our body. When well-connected, the body has a sophisticated capacity to heal restore and to function well. From this, I learned our body's inclination, its baseline, is to be healthy, to fully function. Our brains are programmed to keep us healthy. But that subluxation part, well, due to a car accident or an injury or poor posture or repetitive motions or honestly anything, our spine takes a hit and a subluxation occurs. Ideally, we would go back to a chiropractor who's able to adjust the spine in a non-invasive treatment, back into the optimal position, and we continue with our lives. However, there are times when people had gone so long, often their whole lives, without getting adjusted, and the subluxations grew from minor to worse and worse, and the symptoms became pronounced. It was in watching countless chiropractic adjustments for patients with a myriad of symptoms that another truth became clear to me. While our symptoms may be the greatest issue we can perceive, If the source is not treated, then the the symptom will just change. Our symptoms are the greatest issue we can perceive, but if the source is not treated, then the symptom will just change. We have to get close to deeply heal. Here's a sad saga I've witnessed more than once. Someone had low back pain, so they started taking Advil, and that worked. And then they started to have a hard time sleeping, so they started to take sleeping pills, and that worked. Later, they noticed that they sleep, but they don't feel rested, so they start drinking more caffeine. Eventually, they have a leg tingle, and then numbness, and so they go to a doctor, then a specialist, and perhaps finally, a friend mentions a chiropractor. Then at the chiropractor, they start getting regular adjustments for weeks, all peeling away the layers of nerve pain and disc damage caused by untreated subluxations and the delayed treatment by symptom-numbing tools of that caffeine and the sleeping pills and the Advil. (coughs) Once they're feeling much better, the patient could stop coming because the the symptoms weren't there anymore or stay on the path to wellness and live actively preventing or minimizing the effects of ailments or accidents in the future. This elaborate analogy (laughs) 
is how I came to understand grace, tolerance, and the importance of relationship. Ruth Jackson suggested this topic, tolerance, this past month. She got the freedom to select a sermon topic by bidding on it at Hope's auction, annual auction. Thanks so much, Ruth. I really appreciate the opportunity. You too can have this great opportunity <laughs> later this year at Hope's auction. So over our meal, she shared with me some of her amazing life story and one section we discussed that she also gave a talk on years ago. And it's about a discovery she made in her family about her father. I was given permission to share this in the sermon. In the 1970s, Ruth found out that her father had passed away due to a heart attack and found herself cleaning out his desk. Grieving and organizing and tidying, she came across a hidden compartment. Once opened, she pulled out papers and knickknacks, and before she closed it, she again felt something way back against the wall. Reaching deep into the desk, she felt paper, pulled them out, and read official German documents. In her hands were proof that her father had aided in forging documents which protected persons with Jewish lineage from being sent to concentration camps and received vital aid that kept at least one woman and her children alive through the war. These crimes against the state would have landed him in a concentration camp. If found out, his wife and children, including Ruth, also would have been sent away. Ruth was overcome with emotion, hard to describe, flooded with shock and wonder and gratitude and pride, perhaps shock again. So she read them again and then met with more surprise and awe Decades later, Ruth shared that while no one in her family knew what her father had risked and had done until the documents were found, she wasn't surprised by his actions. She remembered him to be a tolerant, kind, and generous man, and he was living out his values. There is so much to this story I am leaving out, and I hope you get the honor to speak with Ruth and learn more about her life. But for the purposes of this sermon, I'll skip ahead to one regret Ruth mentioned. She wished she had been able to talk to her father about his magnificent secret. And maybe, had she known about it sooner, she wouldn't have taken personally the, alcohol, the alcoholism he slipped into, likely from the stress of holding such a secret. Perhaps she wouldn't have shut him out while she was a teen as much. Now Ruth loved her father and knew he cared for her deeply. That's a blessing and a joy. But she offers to us the richness of life we can access through tolerance and empathetic relationship. The ailments we express outside are really symptoms of subluxations, of parcel dislocations, disconnections inside. And we are capable of more than to just shut up the symptom. By getting close, we can transform through the adjustment a relationship offers. It doesn't take one conversation or just one apology or maybe just one check or one anything. Brian Stevenson, an activist, lawyer, and author, and prophetic voice today, calls it getting proximate, being in relationship with those around us. We have to get close to the hurt to heal. Now for a disclaimer wrapped in some more truth. Accommodation of abuse 
is not tolerance. It's false tolerance. Because tolerance is both curiosity and empathy for the source of the symptoms. It's not accepting abuse. It's curiosity and empathy for the source of the symptoms. Accommodation is allowing misuse to continue and thinking you can hide a source issue with symptom relief. But the proof is in the pudding. Accommodating patients, like in the office, continue the habits which are harming them, like sleeping on their side and their shoulder just keeps hurting, or not stretching, and I definitely explain to them that their hamstrings are part of the problem. If they stretched them out, be fine. I had this conversation many times, y'all. I'm reaching back into some memory. Stretching helps. But they only come for pain relief, not a system treatment or source treatment. But tolerant patients, they come regularly. And when a symptom arises, they bring it up to the chiropractor to help him identify which vertebrae needs to be adjusted. They come for wellness, not just for relief. Here's the kicker. If you are not the solution, you are by default adding to the problem. There's no other options. Either you're tolerant and curious of the source, which, ha- which implies also having empathy. That is a sustainable posture when we have a regular practice of self-reflection and compassion. Or you are accommodating, and you try to get relief of the symptom either by silencing it or giving it just enough treatment to lessen the symptom, but not to stick through and heal the source. Or there's a final patient group, and they aren't patients. They unknowingly are the most cliche problem, the busybodies. This group is so busy doing other things, they don't even slow down to have a relationship to their body and feel that they are in pain. This approach seems to function, but is still only partially connected. There's still a disconnect. Which ones do you recognize yourself in? Are you accommodating? and silencing symptoms in your life? Are you treating them, or are you too busy to even notice? I'll phrase it another way. What do we rather ignore or pacify than inquire deeper? Is it our relationships with ourselves, with other religions, with our families, with our privilege? Take a moment, take a breath. I have a theory. The energy that would be fully functioning but is now disconnected from communicating with the brain is not lost. I don't think that power just evaporates. Instead, I think it reaches for whatever is closest and yells, not for fun, just for attention. Yells often feel like pain, but pain is really an alert buzzer from our nerves that something is not as it should be. It's addiction, just being late all the time. It's being nervous around certain subjects. Hurt's main objective is to heal. Even through yelling, its only aim is to heal. I think that's grace. Not that we hurt, but that the energy that's disconnected tries to alert us, to get us back into relationship, 
we're there, we can start the healing process. We have an opportunity to recognize emotional, physical, relational pain in our life is perhaps a poorly but urgently wrapped invitation. An invitation to get close and heal. To use tolerance to strengthen the relationships which bind us together. Like Ruth's father, who was able to get close to those and risk his own life. And as Ruth hoped she would have, to get close to him even in his alcoholism, to see the source of his pain. What are the symptoms you notice in your life? And where can you practice tolerance and bring curiosity to your relationships? What could you dare uncover as the source of pain in our community, in your life, in your heart? A beloved and healthy community is not one that is like-minded. Honestly, I cringe at the idea of being in a space where everyone thinks alike all of the time. That's actual madness. (laughs) Because we aren't meant to be carbon copies. At our best, we can celebrate each other's unique and valuable wisdom because we are like-hearted and not like-minded. As a Unitarian Universalist community, we pride ourselves in welcoming diversity. Let that not be cut short in theological areas as well. How can we be in better relationship with pagan, Christian, New Age, humanist, Buddhist, Muslim, organizations and traditions in our city. They are opportunities to lean in. And when you notice a symptom, a yell in yourself, be curious, where is the source of concern? Being curious. We are not called to think alike, to love alike. So how can we as a UU community strive to be like-hearted, full of tolerance and grace, instead of like-minded? I believe we can. It's a posture fueled by self-reflection and slathered in compassion and growth, and we get that by being with ourselves. And luckily, we are here to maneuver that journey together. No one need attempt it alone because we are all called to this adventure. This is to be human, wrapped in relationships, to be continuously growing and deeply curious. This is what it is to be human. May we remember, symptoms are raw invitations to heal. The source issue is almost always a disconnect, and relationship can reconnect us to the whole. Octavia Butler wrote, kindness eases change. In the spirit of grace, may we bring tolerance, discernment, and empathy to our symptoms, to our healing, May it be so.